0: Brains actually have an internal negativity bias. We developed them thousands and thousands of years ago when we were cavemen and cavewomen, and unfortunately, we didn't evolve past it. And it means that bad news sticks to our brains like Velcro, and good news slides right off like a slip and slide. And it takes intentionality and hard work to hold on to the good news stories that we see. The bad news sticks so easily, and to retain the same amount of stickiness with the good news, you've got to meditate on that good news. You've got to tell a friend about that good news. You've got to write it down. You've got to do any number of things to absorb it on a deeper level. And the reality is, we all have so many positive things that happen to us and that we see in the news every day.
1: Welcome to the Living Centered Podcast. Where we enter into honest conversations about pursuing a more centered life, rediscovering, reclaiming, and rooting in to who we truly are. I'm your host, Miles Edcox.
2: I'm your host, Lindsay Nobles.
0: And I'm your host, Mackenzie Vogt. Hey, friends, I'm so excited to introduce you to today's guest, founder of Good 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 and the Good Newspaper, Brandon Harvey. Brandon calls himself a storyteller focused on telling stories of good all over the world. And isn't that what we need right now? Some good news. Our social media feeds, television, and even our dinner table conversations seem to be dominated by heartbreaking, tragic, and often bad news. We hope today's interview brings you a little hope and light and inspires you to look for the good. But also recognize and acknowledge the hard things around you and instead of becoming overcome, begin to look for the helpers, and become a part of the solution. Before we kick off the interview, we thought it would be encouraging and fun to share a little good news from you, our listeners. We put out a call for good news, and you did not disappoint.
3: Hi, this is Sherry, and I have a couple of little things that are good news that I'm excited about that I wanted to share with you. Um, One that my family is excited about is that my husband's employer Recently realized and and let him know that they have been overcharging him on his dental insurance for about six years, but they'll be reimbursing him for that in a lump sum of $1,600. And so we're really excited because it was so honest of them, and we're so grateful that they realized that and let him know. And that, um, of course, that $1,600 is really going to help us out with our savings, and so that's exciting also, I'm a manager of a little gift shop, and this one made me feel really good. And an acquaintance came in and and asked if um, a particular friend that we have in common how she was and just randomly bought her a gift that he wanted to take to her for a pick-me-up. And um, I just thought that was so kind that he woke up and chose kindness. It was really inspiring because, you know, I've I've seen this person kind of having a hard time, but to see someone wake up and choose to take action to make them feel better was really inspiring. And so I just love that random act of kindness, and I hope you do too. Hi, I'm Keith. The good news I'd like to share is that after about a year of living through a lot of pain due to a car accident, my mother has finally found a doctor and got a procedure done, which is allowing her to at least rest comfortably and get off of pain medicines and it's just um been really great for her. So yeah, um that is just great news for me and her and our family. Hi, my name is Jamie and my good news is that after searching since January of this year, I finally have a new and exciting job. And That is my great and wonderful news. Thank you.
1: Hey, my name is Orion.
0: Some good news in the world recently is how the international community has responded to Simone Biles stepping outside of the biggest competition to take care of her emotional health, to not put herself at risk and to do what she needed to do. It's been cool to see how much support both – at the Olympics and talking about it, and then from around the world and communities just saying, wow, this is cool that someone can prioritize this when everything's on the line. And so that's some good news in the world that has inspired me.
2: Welcome, Brandon. It's so good to uh, see you and hear your voice.
0: Honestly, it's just so good to get to see both of your faces and I'm so happy to be here.
2: So diving right in, um, who are you? (laughs) no small question but one thing we you know like do when people come to programs at onsite is we tell them not to talk about what they do but really Mm -hmm. start to practice the art of just being and so it always is so disarming at first and can be so awkward but one thing I love about you is I feel like you lead a lot with who you are and so I'd love for you to tell the audience just who are you
0: you know, it, <laughs> this is such a truly hard question, and it's interesting too because I feel like I maybe I do like get to kind of lead with like who I am and and not necessarily what I do, but also I've been fortunate enough to build what I do around my like core values and interests, and so I don't know if it's cheating. Uh, so feel free to stop me, but I would say that I'm a storyteller focused on the good in the world. I'm looking for moments of of genuine, authentic hope in the everyday, but also in in the big things happening in the world. And I'm ultimately trying to share those stories in a way that help other people feel more hopeful. And more than that, that motivate others to get involved and make a difference. You know, I I don't think that being hopeful for hope's sake uh, does anything unless it compels us to make the world a bit of a better place.
2: I love that. What was the process like getting your, who you are congruent with what you do?
0: Yeah, it's a good question. I think about when I was in high school and, and I, I became a professional photographer when I was like 16. Nobody should have been giving me any money to do anything professionally at that age, but I'm very grateful they did. And I, I was, I felt like I was climbing this ladder of wanting to be a professional photographer. I saw these people kind of ahead of me that I admired and I wanted to be like them. And I would take the steps to do that. And and the closer I got to what I saw as success, the less I liked the job. (laughs) Mm. And I figured out that I was completely wrapping my identity up too much in my work and specifically in like a niche part of my work, because I did find joy in, in, in a sense of like belonging in a few parts of my work. But I realized that it wasn't the things that I had set my sights on. And so when I kind of zoomed out and recognized that maybe what it was that I cared about was not the title of photographer or being seen as a photographer on the internet or with my friends. And it was more so that I, I cared about being able to experience hopeful stories and then communicate those. And then I started to kind of build my work in alignment with that, that's when things started to change for me. But I still think it was probably years before I I was, <laughs> I, well, it will probably still be years before I'm, I'm really able to see my work as separate from, you know, my identity. But but I do feel like I def- that was the moment where I started unpacking that for the first time. And, and all of a sudden I started to enjoy my work more and I didn't see it as work necessarily
1: either. Hmm. When you say um, hearing hopeful stories and then telling them in a in an effort to kind of help change the world, what does that do for you? What's the payoff for you?
0: You know, it, it's interesting. I think there's probably a few things. One is, I think it creates a sense of stability for myself and others to 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 recognize that. As out of control as many things in the world feel, there is always a little bit of hope to be found or to be created. And, and I think about that quote from Mr. Rogers, uh, our beloved Fred, uh, who, when he said, when I was a boy and I would see scary things in the news, my mother would say to me, look for the helpers. You'll always find people who are helping. Oh, and it's just such an encouragement to hear her say, you will always find people who are helping. There will always be helpers. And keeping that as a guiding force allows me to continue to pay attention. Cause she doesn't say, you know, when, when bad things happen in the world, turn off the TV, she says, look a little closer. And so as somebody who wants to be paying attention to the world, but I don't want to feel absolutely overwhelmed. It, it, it allows me to do that and to continue staying active and involved with The injustices and being aware of the injustices in the world without completely letting those things bury me to a point where I I can't do anything, where I can't take action, where I can't be part of the solution. And and being a part of the solution to kind of bring it full circle, I think, is also what allows me to maintain that sense of hope, to recognize, oh, when I saw that problem, I looked for the helpers. I maybe even joined in and became a helper. I recognized that I had an ability to shift the problem a little bit. And it's not like I'm even like on the front lines of any of these things. I'm just, you know, maybe making a donation when I see something that breaks my heart in the news or, you know, I'm celebrating somebody who's out there on the front lines doing work. And that allows me to not feel hopeless every day in the midst of the many Mm. injustices that so many in the world are facing.
1: Mm. I love that. I love the hope to be, I can't say it the way you said it exactly, but it was, poetic and good. It was hope to be had, or hope to be created. And I think it's, you know, for somebody who has built a a life around helping tell good stories and and curate or create hope for a lot of other people, those of us in the helping profession, which I would put you there, meaning you help and, uh, you know, people, I'm sure, find their a heart for service, their true calling. There's no telling what you wake up inside people when they anchor into your efforts with good, 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 and just your life and what you represent. But for me being in the helping profession for quite some time, I, I, there's no mistake. I got into it externally motivated, but internally searching. Mm. And I was keenly interested in helping change lives and, and change the world. Um, I did it purely uh, for other people. And uh, it was years before I explored what's what is it about this that wakes me up, that gives me... And I love the way you connected the dots back that in turn, me helping be a vessel to create hope for other people, I get to experience that same level of hope in a world that feels at this time anyway, like there's quite a deficit of it depending on what cycle that you get your information from. So, I just think that's beautifully well said and shared. There's so many people right now asking big questions about how do I make my life be more on purpose? I guess for people who are brand new to this, who are listening and thinking, I'm inspired by the way, Brendan, you live, what you do. I'd like to make what I do matter a little more. What would you offer them based on what you've learned along the journey?
0: Yeah, I I think that's such a good question. And something you said earlier reminded me of the fact that you know i i got into the world of looking for good news stories on accident i was just a professional photographer who was getting paid to fly all over the world and document stories for you know companies and i probably really if you looked at my motivations it was just to get to travel a bunch to get to meet a bunch of people to eat really good food in countries i'd never been to before but along the way, that was where I discovered amazing solution makers, the the helpers that Mr. Rogers was talking about. And I, I started to recognize that those people were also in my backyard in Portland, Oregon. I didn't have to travel across the world. And when I was able to start to isolate, you know, what are the things that really motivate me about this job that I have, it allowed me to recognize that that I could do it without you know, needing to hop on a plane or whatever it was, and so I, you know, I would encourage anybody who you know has something that they do in their everyday life, whether it's a job that you like or hate, uh, whether it's you know a, a hobby or an interest, or or even just what you're consuming and reading and paying attention to. It, when you find that spark where you're like, "This is the thing that I I, I like." Uh, even in the midst of if if you've got a job you don't like, there's always that one thing where you're like, why do I like this one thing as a part of it? You start to really question that, and, and you know, I won't have the answer, and you probably won't have the answer for uh, at least a little bit of time. But as you start to unpack that, think about okay, where else can I, where else can I find this or apply this interest? And that's when you start to really explore things. I didn't I didn't make the leap from photographer to storyteller overnight. I I went from photographer to thinking. You know, I really like this story, but I, I can't quite tell it with just photography. You know what, I'm gonna learn how to shoot some video a little bit. I'm gonna I'm gonna start a podcast. Oh, I'm gonna write a really long caption on Instagram, and all of a sudden I, I recognized that the central piece was not my photography, it was It was the story at the core of that. And at one point I, I, you know, I I had zoomed out enough and tried enough things that I could see that. And so just keep on playing around with it. Keep on figuring out like, what is this thing that I like? How can I keep on playing around with this? And I really think that the way that we're wired, you're going to find a sense of purpose within that. And and not just purpose for yourself, but a a purpose driven to affect other people. Because I, I think that that is, a little bit innate to us when we're paying enough attention uh, that we have an ability to use those things that are so core to who we are to, to make a difference and to help other people.
2: Yeah. That's awesome. Something that I learned from miles when we were um, sort of first entering into the pandemic was he was talking about how people, a lot of people like sort of shift and feel unstable because they're like vacillating between sort of living in like the uncertainty and the fear of the unknown, and then this like hopeful optimism. And I think so much of what you've done this year in particular, and even prior to, but it's the the world has felt so loud with the fear and uncertainty. I feel like part of what you do um, in your work is sort of help, help us all ground the voices a bit with the good news. How do you live in sort of that groundedness between sort of, the fear and uncertainty, which is real, and we have to acknowledge it, but also like just trying to stay hopeful.
0: Yeah. You know, I think that when bad things happen in the world, we all have a natural tendency to do one of two things. It's either, and I've been on both ends of these spectrums so hard, it's embarrassing. But the first is you just want to block it all out. You want to pretend that it doesn't exist. You want to bury your head in the sand. And, you know, not everybody actually has the privilege of doing that. And for me, as a person of of an immense amount of privilege, when I look at the news, most of the bad things happening in the world don't actually affect me, or at least not directly. And so I I truly do have the ability to bury my head in the sand. But the problem is you do that for too long and, and you start to break down. You can't actually really hold back the pain. Problem number two on the other end of the spectrum, which is where I've definitely been probably more recently, is paying way too much attention to all the bad things happening in the world because you you want to be seen as somebody who is paying a lot of attention or you feel like it's your duty to pay a lot of attention um, or or whatever it is. But the problem is when you just are focusing on only the problems, uh, it, it robs you of your ability to be a part of the solution. It essentially drives so much cynicism that you feel like there's no point in doing anything because the world is so bad. And and the problem with both of these ends of the spectrum really is that they, you lose your ability to be involved in making a difference. And so what we really encourage people to do at good, 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 is to focus on always, we essentially have like a three-part framework. We say, when you see problems in the world and, and you should be seeing them, you should be paying attention to them. It's okay to mourn them. It's, like so real that when you see you know a new typhoon coming through the Philippines, when you see people uh, sleeping outside in your community, when you see something that breaks your heart, you should mourn that. you should feel that because that's real. But you shouldn't stay there. Then we follow Mr. Rogers' advice for step number two, which is to look for the helpers because, like his mom said, like you will always find people who are helping. Find those people and celebrate them. Take a moment to recognize that, you know, that, that there is somebody already actively working to create a solution. But then step three, you'd ever want to stay there either. It's your responsibility to play a part in making a difference in some way. You do not have to fly across the world. You do not have to start a nonprofit. You don't have to do some big thing just figure out how can I help this helper a little bit? And it might be you know, sharing something on your Instagram stories. It might be donating $10. It might be volunteering and getting involved. And the truth is probably the more you do this, the more that you'll take steps to do bigger and bigger things as you come to appreciate it more and see more opportunities to make a difference. But when you do that, you can feel a whole lot more hopeful about what's happening in the world. And I think for many of us who were maybe burying our heads in the sand a little bit this was the year where we couldn't quite do that anymore and for the for the people who are on the cynical side paying way too much attention I think that we uh we hit a wall where where it, it kind of broke us we felt like we couldn't go on anymore feeling so much despair and so I think a lot of people are coming to terms with this and it actually is really hopeful to me to know that there's this group of people who are being awakened to the opportunities to be a part of the solution, to make the world a better place. And when we're all actively playing our parts with the things that we see wrong with the world, the the faster we get to make a difference, the faster we get to create change together.
2: Yeah. I love the idea of, you know, really taking a step towards action and like acknowledging what things are within your control that you can do and sort of, I think that that helps give us all so much more perspective than just feeling like overwhelmed
0: with all the voices that are out there. Yes, nice. because because we can't do everything. And I think that's the biggest thing is I, I would say that we will always have particular things that break our heart the most. Uh, and those are, I think, the places where we should be spending our attention. What breaks my heart might not be exactly what breaks your heart. And that's, I think, a beautiful thing that we have different life experiences, different passions, different ways we're built that lead us to care about certain things. And as long as we're open to, <laughs> for lack of a better way of saying it, more new things breaking our hearts, I think that you know we can focus on the things that are the highest priority for us in that moment and and we don't have to solve every problem. We can just, you know, pay attention to the thing in front of us and 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 take a step forward and then figure out the next right step later.
1: Sometimes we can get compassion fatigue and and yeah. start to struggle. And our goal is to help other people. But in in that question you framed up, which I think is so beautiful, I think I want to go back and think about that in terms of what I'm really driven to do right now to help. But what breaks your heart? It seems like you have thought about that. What breaks your heart the most, and why that might be in your story somewhere? you know, for the most part,
0: when I ask people that question, they'll be like, "Oh I care about human trafficking. I care about homelessness, I care about small businesses, whatever it is it's It's something like that, and for me i I do feel like my thing is is cynicism <laughs> like mm-hmm. i I see the problem of cynicism as a real problem to be solved, something that... It, I, I have a hard time describing it as it breaking my heart because I, it, I don't know if it's... it does, Sometimes it doesn't, to me, feel as serious as somebody experiencing homelessness or anything else like that, but it does frustrate me and it saddens me to see the way that that cynicism is robbing people uh and and I know that I've experienced that and it and it robbed me of the way that I could be living my life and I want others to be able to experience that transformation of hopefulness but do I know where that comes from immediately you know I don't know if I necessarily do maybe it's from my own experience on both ends of that spectrum of of burying my head in the sand
1: and feeling cynical it's not always the obvious it's not always well this happened because this happened sometimes mm. it's like- because it's like what you said, Brendan, there's a lot of amazing people in, that are probably really passionate about supporting homeless, but they've never been homeless. They come from a privileged position, but there may be something that they can connect to about feeling left out, a little bit lost, a little bit lonely, a little bit misunderstood. And therefore, they they it breaks their heart to see somebody living that in an extreme way, and, and it activates them to want to help.
0: I wonder if oftentimes our care really for a particular issue really does come from some deeper internal motivation. And of course, you know, somebody who did experience homelessness, you know, I see it all the time, you know, does go on to create a nonprofit that serves people who had the same experience as them. But I think it is probably just as likely that somebody who experiences, you know, some sort of... that is, that is relatable to somebody experiencing homelessness internally also finds that motivation to serve this community of people. And maybe they could have served any number of people or groups, but something came across their path at the exact right time when they were exploring those motivations and they were presented with an opportunity to apply their empathy, their care, their energy, their resources
1: what do you, what I was going to ask you too? Do you feel as the? In, in, I know the difficulties of trying to grow something and uh, build something from the ground up, and it comes with ups and downs, and heartbreak, and difficulty, both personally, professionally. You got setbacks and wins, and everything in between. But has there been? You know, I would imagine a lot of people would kind of look at what you're doing, which is a really cool thing, and probably set that as a north star. And but it may feel unobtainable, and. I just wonder if you could humanize a little bit what it's been like to be Brendan Harvey and build what you build with good, good, good. And I, I always joke,
0: because we make a print newspaper in 2020, and I'm like, I do not recommend it to anybody. I'm glad we do it. We have a community who loves our good newspaper, but I, I certainly uh, do not think that it is a good business model to follow. <laughs> uh, and its I'll start off by just saying that Every single year of my life, if you were to tell me a year before what my life would be like 365 days later, I would never have believed you. You know, I did not plot this path from the beginning. I didn't plot the path month by month, year by year. I've just remained open to what comes next. And it's meant saying goodbye to some things and hello to new things. And that's why I am where I am today. The work that I do drives a lot of passion and energy. And I wouldn't trade that for the world. But like, there have been so many struggles within that. And you think about COVID and the pandemic, you know, <laughs> when when kind of March and April came around, I knew that we were heading into a recession. And I, I, I knew that the first things to go in a recession are non-essential goods, like a good newspaper um, <laughs> advertising, which is how we fund about half of our our business model, and things were really really tight for a while. Like we we genuinely assumed that we would go out of business, and so as a part of that, you know, we we just were like, let's burn out bright, let's let's try to fill the world with as much good as possible before we go out of business, and we got to find new jobs. Uh, and fortunately, that was when we saw things kind of catch fire a little bit because of that, uh, maybe us, you know, pushing a little extra hard at the end. uh, And also partly just because I think people needed some good news. But I guess I say that to say that for people who have been following the work we've done, we had a few really cool things happen to us this year. We were featured in the New York Times, I did an Instagram live with Miley Cyrus, random crazy stuff like that that feel so aspirational, but behind the scenes at the exact same time, I was reading over our you know our our books and quickbooks and 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 wondering if we would make it to the next month. I was having hard conversations with team members. I was you know getting calls from clients canceling projects. And it, it, you you really are never seeing those things, and we try to be transparent about all these things, but like you know we can't even just push push all these things out in the world. So even as a company that tries to be transparent about where we're at, you know you're still never seeing all the behind the scenes and so and the, the biggest thing is on those days like on the day where the new york times article dropped i was so ecstatic i was so excited but probably when i think about like my core thought at the end of the day it was it was still the worry and the wonder about what's happening the next day and so for anybody who's who's experiencing that heartbreak that nervousness that anxiety around building something like that's normal that, that's a real thing but the good days do come and the the progress that you make is really energizing and I, I think that it's especially true if, if you really are if you built a sense of purpose, a sense of deep mission into the work that you're doing it's not just because you saw a gap in the market uh, and wanted to financially benefit from it it's something where you saw, a genuine need in the world and you wanted to create a solution to that, then I think that that purpose will pull you through those hard days, those hard months, those hard years.
1: You know, and I think, you know, that's where the congruence kicks in and the experience kicks in. That is the fuel for exactly what you described, which is, and there are good days and it's hard and I wouldn't trade it at all. You know, I feel the same way. It's, it's, there is something beautiful about the messy middle and the whole journey. But at the end of the day, I think when we're truthful about the good, bad and the in between, it just makes us more human, which makes us more whole, uh, which makes it more sustainable. So I appreciate you sharing that part.
0: Thank you. And one other thing I was kind of thinking about is I also feel like some of the, like the motivations and the things that energize me have changed over time. There are seasons where, I really care. I think about a member of our community and a problem they're having. And I think we have to create something that solves this problem for her and other people experiencing that same things. There are other times where I'm thinking about my team and I'm thinking about what does it look like to create something that supports them better? And there are times where I'm thinking about myself and I'm like, I see this opportunity for growth and what energizes me every day is showing up and working on this part of myself because I know that it'll it'll make me better. And I think you know, there is always a new thing, like a new problem to be solved, a new thing that I'm working on a new motivation. And it's in those times where I can actually look at the other previous problems and motivations and feel a sense of growth. Because it's hard to look at the thing that you're currently stressed out about. But when you look at the other things that you have put your energy towards and created a solution for, like that's where you can really see the progress you've made. And, and, and I, I love that because one day, you know, I may not be running a newspaper, but there's so many skills and experiences I've learned along the way that will make me stronger at the next blank, the next whatever. And as long as we're continuing to grow, I think that that is something that really matters and allows us to make a bigger difference with the next thing.
1: I'm just curious about this one through your perspective or through your lens. So I think you might have a unique vantage point. I just have always been interested in this parallel and I've heard different people speak on their theories around it, but I've got a unique vantage point on people's, how would I say it? I would say I can't figure out, I've never been able to fully figure out why bad news sells better than good news. And so I want to know your your thought on that because I think and I consume a lot of challenging adverse bad news, but I sometimes live for the the morning minute or the um uh, our boot today show would be morning boost or the the but I wonder why out of a two hour show, it's a three minute segment, same thing with my morning radio shows. there's these little three minute segments, and they're always so good they're telling stories like what you tell. And it's like uplifting and you feel something, but then it goes right back to what we consume, what, what our brains naturally are drawn toward. And I, the reason I ask about it, well, I want to know why you feel like that is, why bad news sells better than good news or why good news doesn't sell like it should. And then two, um, because I think it's interesting from my, our lane in that we work hard to curate and create enough psychological safety in an ecosystem to support people to talk about their own painful, bad stories, adverse stories, because they don't typically do that out in culture naturally. But yet we're kind of addicted to consuming everyone else's. Anyway, what, what are your thoughts on that?
0: Yeah, I, I think that was a big question that I had early on uh, in the process of, of kind of pivoting my life to be focused on story, telling stories of the good in the world. Uh, because I was like, why is, why is nobody else doing this? Uh, and, and what I figured out later is that there are people doing it, but our brains don't naturally hold on to those things. And I was talking with this researcher, a guy named Dr. Rick Hansen, and he talks about this idea that our brains actually have an internal negativity bias. Uh, we, we developed them, thousands and thousands of years ago when we were cavemen and cave women. And unfortunately we didn't evolve past it. And it means that bad news sticks to our brains like Velcro and good news slides right off like a slip and slide. And it takes intentionality and hard work to hold on to the good news stories that we see the bad news like sticks so easily into retain the same amount of stickiness with the good news. You've got to meditate on that good news. You've got to tell a friend about that good news. You've got to write it down. You've got to do any number of things to absorb it on a deeper level. And the reality is we all have so many positive things that happen to us and that we see in the news every day. If you take a moment to just take a breath and close your eyes, you can name five things that you're grateful for today. Five positive interactions you had with a stranger online or in person and... The thing that you may find yourself thinking about at the end of the day, though, if you're not being conscious about it is the few bad things that happened, the few problems. Same goes with posting something on Instagram. You get a dozen positive comments and you get that one where maybe somebody was being a little passive aggressive. They were being a little bit rude. And th- and that's the one you think about, even though you got a few hundred likes and you got a dozen people saying positive things, but you think about that one negative thing. And so At Good, 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 that's where we started figuring out, okay, how do we hack this? How do we figure out some weird ways to get people to absorb these things on a deeper level? And we've tried everything under the sun, and some things work better than others. Uh, On Instagram, you're scrolling through your feed all the time. There's a lot more news on our Instagram feeds now, and so we share good news to kind of balance that out. But we think that if you just see an Instagram post, you're probably not going to absorb it because you're seeing a hundred other posts while you're in the app for a few minutes. And so we make everything beautifully designed so that you want to share it. Like literally, if you click the share button, like a beautiful gradient will pop up in the background. Like we've thought through all these things and when you're sharing it, and then maybe a few people respond, you're, getting inundated with it a little bit more. Your brain's seeing it not in a consumption mode, but a a creation mode. And so you Mm -hmm. absorb it on a little bit of a deeper level. We've made our print newspaper because it doesn't have push notifications like an app has and... You're, you're forced away from bad news for long enough that maybe you're meditating. Uh, when you flip the pages, you have to do it slowly enough that you absorb good news on a deeper level. We've, we've kind of tried to build these little bits of design into everything we do to trick people because you know I, I do think that, honestly, if you see a good news story, you take 10 seconds to meditate on it, to think about it, to thank God for it, to write it down, whatever it is, like you'll fully absorb it. But in the days where you're being a little bit less mindful and you're not remembering to do that, we still want to help you absorb that good news. And so uh, to answer your question, I think there's a lot of good news that is being reported, even in the main news sections. But because it's not being framed up as good news, because maybe we're not looking for it, or maybe because we're not retaining it, Mm. it doesn't commit
1: to our memory. And we don't have time to fully unpack that one, but I can talk <laughs> an hour about that because I love the. I've got a lot of theories about the psychology and science behind it, but mm-hmm. I was just may you helped clarify a couple of things for me. It makes sense. I, you know, I, I think we uh, often we're constantly from the reptile part of our brain comparing ourselves to other people as a means of survival. people, people places, things, circumstances, situations, as a way to regulate. Is my life better, worse, or different than that. And so when we're in somebody else's shit show, we feel a little better about ours. So I think that's part of the reason why we get drawn to it. But the the impact, which you just said so well, is that that's an unconscious narrative that we think is solving a problem. But the fact that we have a negativity bias, that negative news is sticky. And too much of it hangs on and it dilutes our perspective towards hope and optimism. And therefore, it creates the opposite effect of what we're trying to survive to begin with. And so it's just, it's so interesting.
0: So interesting. I can't wait to unpack all of this for hours uh, again in the future.
2: So one final question, Brandon, this is called the Living Centered Podcast. And um, that's something we're really passionate about at OnSite is the idea of Living Centered. We've talked about how you practice gratitude and how you practice positivity and looking for positivity. What are other emotional health practices that help keep you centered day to day?
0: Such a good question. You know, I think one thing for me is the days where I intentionally choose how I'm going to consume the news are my best days. If I'm just getting a drip, drip, drip all day long, uh, it is gonna completely ruin me. But if I just decide, hey, I'm gonna go in for an hour in the morning, an hour at night, and I and I work in the news business, so I think a lot of people can probably do a little bit less than that. And I know I'm gonna go in with a specific, you know, to a few specific websites and I'm gonna you know, pick a diverse range of things. You know, when I'm intentional about that whole process, I feel much less overwhelmed because during that time, I can practice a sense of mindfulness around, you know how I'm thinking about these things, how I'm making sure that I'm looking for the helpers when I feel overwhelmed, et cetera. So that's one thing. The other thing is having people in my life who I can wrestle with problems with. So when I see something that makes me sad or something that overwhelms me, i I often can't immediately come up with 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 an answer on how I can make a difference on the first pass of things especially with new things or things i hadn't seen before in natural disasters i kind of know my go-to organizations i know my go-to things but maybe with a new problem i don't always know how to do that and so having a few people who are in my life i'm like hey can we talk about this thing we can huddle up real quick a zoom call a text that has been absolutely game changing in my life and has really helped me through this year uh, and then lastly i have found that the times where i take out my headphones. I take a moment to not be consuming, but to just process things like that changes my entire day, whether it's a meditation or going on a walk or just like making food while not listening to a podcast. Uh, sorry, podcast listeners who are doing that right now. (laughs) But when I, when I just choose to do that a few times a day, like that gives me the emotional bandwidth to take on the day, like nothing else. Uh, so those are three core things that that have been really, really helpful to me.
2: Those are helpful so for me, too. Yeah. Brandon, thank you so much for joining us. This was so
1: fun.
0: Thank you so much. This is truly so fun. I love everything y'all do. And uh, it's just so good to get to talk with you. So thank you for having me.
1: You, too. Thanks for your time, buddy. That was yeah, I'm going to trade in some consumption for a little more process. <laughs> and I would encourage people listening to this. I mean, what are the... The three things that ground and center you. What's one thing you take away from our conversation today? And instead of jumping to the next podcast, push pause for a minute and put it put it down and and maybe journal on that or sit with that. Uh, even if it's five minutes, sit in process for a minute before you jump right into consumption. Straight from our friend, Brendan Harvey. I like that advice. All right, Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for joining us for this conversation. If you want to hear more from OnSite, find us on social media at OnSite Workshops. You can also find me at Miles Edcox.
2: When our emotional health is suffering, many of us begin to feel alone and overwhelmed. If you're in that place right now, we deeply encourage you to ask for help. If Onsite can support you in connecting the dots with one of our programs or other offerings, our admissions team would love to connect with you. Simply call 1-800-341-7432 or visit onsiteworkshops.com.